Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about containers in the near term. So looking at where we've gotten with containers and very much with Kubernetes and process controls and, and sort of what we need to wrap around containers as we go forward. Um, with sort of a short-term focus. So uh, Klaus and I are the main speakers here and, and we really talked through how we need to be thinking about containers now that we have the control surfaces around them uh, to make things work. And if you were using containers in Kubernetes, this podcast will certainly inform your thinking and I know you will enjoy it. The, the topic for today is 2021, sorry, 2022, the update, uh, you know, predictions, what's, what we think might, might happen. Um, and I, I would think we're going to do the same thing next Thursday for, from a strategy perspective. So that would be a couple years out sort of discussion. Um, I'd be actually interested in very tactical, like what, what real 2022, like what, what could happen? Like, you know, HashiCorp just raised a ton of money. Is there, is there, are they going to change? Um, you know, it's, we have Rocky, um, uh, uh, sorry, Centos, you know, actually switching over finally and people, um, responding to that. Um, log for J. Amazon, I mean, God, there's Denver sucked. Not done yet either. I mean, it, it, it sucks if you're the on-call person, definitely. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, like, yes, it, it could be better, but uh, if I were to look at it from a purely selfish perspective, it like uh, as a an IT professional, this is great because I'm going to be continue to be employed forever. If this, oh, God. yeah, um, all I need to do is keep up with the technology. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it it's there's definitely a a, a want to for, for things to be to be better. Do you, um, do you think the log for J, like, I'm assuming nobody's actually putting in patch processes. They're just patching. Um, I mean, it, it's basically log for J is being maintained by five volunteers. That's it. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's been considered stable enough that, that nobody needed to add features to it. it it's right. It's so it's yeah, it's just uh, but, kept but alive. I, yeah, but I mean, this is like solar winds, you know, what last year, the year before, with uh, um, you know, it's a supply chain problem. How do you patch and update, you know, things that have log for j in it? Do I need to? I and mean, do I am I should I be worried about embedded devices in my house? Um, yeah, um. There was also a recent article, I, I wish I could find it, but um, it was about uh, the Rust programming language. 
So, so basically, there's been a lot of articles saying like, oh, Brass is overhyped and this and that. And this was basically a rebuttal of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was interesting in, in that. So the the, the way that the, this person approached the argument was that, yes, the Rust, it, there's nothing you can do in Rust that you can't do anywhere else. But Rust basically provides a leap ahead in type safety and, and memory safety that until now, it, it had been assumed it couldn't be done in a programming language. So it, it had been left up to the developer to do it. Okay. And, and and now that it's being done in, in the programming language, like the, the developers that know how to do it, of course, don't see the value in it. Uh, but the they also don't look at it from the perspective of new professionals coming in the field and not not knowing or or not re- not having not having their wherewithal to 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 remember about tape safety or memory safety. So this is some we we could learn some something from this uh, in the in the DevOps, DevOps world and and uh, basically again like what do we need to do? to mm. make supply chain safety an implicit feature of our workflow as opposed to something that, that we need to layer on top? That is a key question. So decompose that, right? I mean, you're, is, this, is the risk from taking, taking something you're not supposed to have or is the risk from, and there's a couple of risks, right? One is not being able to patch in place. But um, what you're describing from a Rust comparison is, you know, does the system have antibodies to protect itself from, ah, I'm not even sure how you would do this, malicious um, malicious components, malicious not- configuration? What are, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm trying to piece it back into DevOps. I, I wouldn't even go as far as saying malicious. I would just say anomalies. Mm. Like what is expected and what is not. How how do you encode an expectation into your pipeline and ah. have a break when that expectation is not met? We we have things We've, like yeah. pinning versions and, and such, but I, I think there there is an opportunity for revisiting what we're doing and, and saying like we're not doing enough here on and, and work towards providing That's, a better system you know it's funny we've talked about this on on our team because with the infrastructure pipeline stuff we do it's easy to embed standard segment so you could you could always run a security scan as part of a as part of a system or you could at least make it the security scan was available and all you had to do is flip a bit to turn it on or a compliance check or some type of sniff. And I know like Chef Inspect does do that to an extent. I've seen uh, Hashi has a tool, has a platform um, for them. They have a really generic name for it, like Certify or something. Um, oh, well, it, yeah, you, you also got things like uh, TS and Checkoff, which... Uh... Do do their own um, audits on, on top of uh, Terraform configurations, but the the those audit tools 
as far as I've seen, like, and Chekhov's a good example, are they can do the stuff you tell them to do. They don't, they, they don't infer, like you were describing, patterns of behavior. Yeah. I mean, the downside of this, like, or of having to infer is that, I mean, this is the, the home field of artificial intelligence. And yeah. just the, the, the hype over the past couple of years has uh, poisoned the public opinion on, on it. Uh, even though it, it shouldn't have, like uh, it, it just it, it, it we, we got promised things, we got over promised <laughs> and, and under delivered. Um, it, it's I mean, it, domain specific artificial intelligence or machine learning things like that. They, they're still incredibly powerful, incredibly useful, um, but I mean, it it it's not a one click solution. You you need to you need to you need to train it. And and that aspect has been glossed over so many times that it, it, it's left the the public opinion like skeptical of of the solutions that uh, include uh, that that kind of quote unquote buzzword. Be an interesting exercise. I'm I'm thinking about what it would take to collect a, a real system signature. And then train it. Um, I mean, we, we, it we can I mean, either way, the, it'd be nice to have a real attempts. signature. Sorry, we, we can we can look at the current attempts, like for example, antivirus stuff. Well, but you could do uh, you could get. I mean, we pull a deep fingerprint of a machine, um, and I mean, it's it's a really deep fingerprint. We don't then like, but you could add. Um, you know, what's your system D configuration? What's your, you know, firewall, like, like throw, start throwing in a whole bunch of like, Hey, I actually need to capture all this. Um, and then once you have that data, you could throw it through a learning algorithm for your own systems and say, okay, this is what my fingerprint looks like. And if systems aren't matching that either go back and retrain that they are valid or, um, right. To, you know, update the algorithm or say, hey, this is actually finding a problem for me. Um, there's, there's so much data. It's a good machine learning algorithm option. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I could see getting there. Hmm. All right, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> this is fascinating because I'm, I'm super, like I'm, I'm thinking through, because the other side of it is the infrastructure is code piece of having... You know, this it it falls apart if you're inconsistent. Yes, um, uh, to a degree, yeah, yeah. Um, and this we talked about this with the machine in the sh machine learning session. Um, and I, you know, I think that we because we were talking about closed loop feedback. I I think you could do a degree of training and just be like, this is what you know. I wish I had the time to do it because um, it wouldn't be hard to feed a whole bunch of, you know, machine, machine objects or job data into a system and, and find, figure out if there's anomalies um, and do an anomaly detection from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the, the other aspect is that we've been moving towards 
uh, immutable and, and ephemeral environments as well. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you, you might be, you might still be fingerprinting the the, the host and uh, or 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 the like the the Kubernetes node itself, uh, but the containers you. Yeah. You, you're uh, your bounds for anomalies are much tighter. Oh, because they're constrained in the container. Yeah, like, like you, you would expect that in a con that at least in most containers you have a single process. So, so once you start seeing two or more processes, you fire off an alert, or you kill the container, or, or whatever. Um, that, you expect it to do not have root privileges in most cases. Mm -hmm. um, you expect there to not be a shell. I, I, I'd expected Kubernetes to um, grow that type of security scanning, right? Take advantage. I used to talk about this um, when during the, <laughs> the VM versus container, which is a more secure war. Um, and I used to, exp I, I, I did and still do expect that containers are more secure for exactly the reason you're describing. Mm -hmm. We can put an analysis process, you know, as adjacent, and then see if there's, you know, bad actors happening in on that container. And um, we absolutely do have it as optional okay. components. I mean, for, in terms of only auditing, you have things like Cystic Falco, for example. Um, in terms of just preventing thing, mm. that from happening, like you, you, you could use OPA and, as an admission controller and, and then simply not allow uh, the kind of things you, you don't like, like, for example, root containers. Um, there are some edge cases, of course, that you might not be able to cover gracefully one way or another. Um, but uh, the the capability of locking things down inside Kubernetes, it, at least on the process control side, is much better than it was before. Uh, but before these tools existed, um, yeah. the the one part where I still find it lacking is actually in terms of cloud providers. Like for example, um, and, and particularly in, in terms of network policies. So if I, I, I can create VPCs and whatnot with, with file rules and, 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 and say, yeah, I'll only allow this port uh, or this VPC to connect uh, to that service. Um, I can, I can use labels and tags to say my VPC should only be able to connect to uh, I don't know uh, RDS or, or or PubSub. I can't do the same with network policies yet. Huh. I, I can say I can say in my, in my network policy only allow the port for RDS, and right. I can say only allow the AWS internal addresses. But that is a fairly broad configuration still. I thought, yeah, I thought I, I we were use labels. This is where people got excited about east-west firewalls, and I mean, service meshes to an extent should 
should be able to constrain traffic through the service mesh. That's assuming that your service mesh is, a, again, is aware of your cloud infrastructure, which right now they're not. You, you can put a, a, a Ugh, like a, a service mesh proxy or, or peer in, inside a VPC and, and, and go through there. But you, you, you still, still your service mesh is not aware of all the metadata that ha you have in your cloud resources. Is that a lack of integration? Or is it just I, I that hard to say, set up? I would say, yes, a lack of integration. Um, it, 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 it's not an easy problem to solve either. I mean, yeah. likely you would need to have some kind of proxy, either living inside the cluster or, or parallel to it, um, that through which you then uh, gate the the the, the surface connections, and this proxy would then need to be aware of the metadata and uh, and do selective uh, traffic shaping. Um, so it, I I can see what why why it hasn't been implemented yet. Uh, it could potentially even done even be done like if, if say the cloud providers were to fork their CNI uh, and then uh, and then add those features huh. into that. Um, but again, it's, uh, that that would be a rather monumental yeah. maintenance work. Yeah, that, and that would create a lot of bloat from a CNI perspective. But. Yeah. I, I can see Google having the developer bandwidth to, to do it, at least to, at least to implement it. But except it's going to break stuff. I mean, part of the challenge with any of these things is that it, it implementing networking protections like what you're describing will break things and have to you'll have to figure out how to troubleshoot it. All right. to, to be fair, we're already there with service mesh. Like service mesh is <laughs> in no way a, a set and forget kind of thing. Like you, half of the things will not work out of the box. You, you need to add your annotations, you need to add labels, you need to set up your proxies and 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 and, and ingress controllers and, and whatnot to be to to do things appropriately. If you have services defined like with multiple ports per service, uh, then with Istio, you are up Shit's Creek. Um, okay. so, so, I mean, it, it's not a pretty landscape as it stands right now. So I, I would argue that if anyone were to, or if there was any time to, to make this kind of disruption, now would be better than later because right now you're doing no worse than the competition <laughs> yeah you, you still have to be able to describe the value proposition yeah i i mean enterprises right. will see the value proposition right away like you you, you hmm. if anything what you want is is to be able to extend your 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 network policies in kubernetes to say, okay, I, I can already I can already do network policies to, to say, okay, only allow pods in, in this namescape with, with these labels or annotations uh, to connect to my service. Or or or, or vice versa, I'll only allow my, my pods to connect to these other services with these labels and annotations. That works within within the, the scope of Kubernetes resources. 
you just need to extend it to go beyond that now. So don't treat your, your Kubernetes cluster as an isolated ecosystem anymore, integrate it. I'm thinking, like, the things I'm seeing out of Kubernetes right now are all Kubernetes out. Does that require you to think from Kubernetes inward, like from outside Kubernetes in to get that information? You do this. Does even what I'm saying? Does what I'm saying make sense? Because I'm seeing it. This trend line I see with Kubernetes is put everything in Kubernetes and let it be the control plane for everything else. Um, which I, I have mixed feelings about. Um, uh, so you're you're talking about uh, things like cluster API and and so on. Where, where you cluster API? Yeah, and then like yeah. some of the upbound stuff that I've seen. Um, cross-plane the project yeah I, i'm i'm not particularly fond of that approach uh because it, it provides a dependency cycle right? yeah you, you need external resources to to create kubernetes in the first place you don't want to need a kubernetes cluster to to create another kubernetes <laughs> cluster um on, 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 unless that is provided as an atomic building block with, without anything any anything else attached to it in which case yeah. you can start considering it it might still not be the best idea but you can start considering it it yeah it's just to me it's it's a very similar to think to amazon services being built on amazon services um <laughs> um which works fine right until until there's you 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 trip over some problem where there's a, you know, something breaks and there's an office and a dependency you didn't didn't know about. Um, yep. I'm I'm thinking about uh, pulling back to 2022 <laughs> predictions. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, yeah. But um, but no, I mean, what to me, what we're talking about is very pragmatically the things that we need to be worried about in 2022 um you think and, and it's topical from stuff that's happened it did, did people show up you know on january 2nd or 3rd and you know dust off the log for j and aws outages and change behavior um like from an operations perspective and and devops and what we build the the hopeful me would say yes. The, the single me says no. Um, what What would you have people do differently in twenty twenty two? In that case, what's right? Play the play the helpful story. The hopeful story. The, the hopeful me would, would say we 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 learn from from our mistakes. We we start auditing our supply chain. We mm. start adding. Uh, if we haven't done it already, like checks and, uh, and controls and, and versioning where, where, where it's lacking because I've seen many cases where like the only version is the main branch and, and nothing else. <laughs> um, yeah, which, sorry, I, I'm laughing and crying on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is... People... Yeah. It is difficult, uh, and unfortunately, that the cynical enemy uh, has gone through this before. And uh, 
the internet in, in general, uh, but it does not exclude the, the tech community, has a very short memory span. Um, I mean, who these days is still worrying about the, the Equifax leak? It, it was huge. Right? We've come yeah. back to the same old habits. Yeah. Um. And but and the same goes for for and and everything else. And, and unfortunately, it, it's it's always that. Uh, it's always a story that that security and reliability are an afterthought because they are money sinks. They're not money makers. So when when the going gets tough, when 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 you need to push out a product to to get to market before your competition, or 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 when when your earnings are, are not as high as expected and you need to cut back on things, security and reliability end up being on the chopping block. Um, and, and we, I mean. We've seen this happening before. We'll see it happen happening again. And, um, I, I I would love to 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 see a cultural change ab- about this, but but I don't think it's going to happen unless we can provide a significant cost reduction with this. Yeah, um, oh. cost reduction oh. would imply not only uh, like a reduced service cost, but also um, reduced or, 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 or better out-of-the-box experience uh, and yeah. simplified maintainability. Because it, it, it's, it's, it's not just CapEx that you need to worry about, it's OpEx too. This is, I mean, uh, this is something we talk about with infrastructure as code. And one of one of the things I would like to see is the, that we elevate the infrastructure as code conversation here um, to be to to be more process and repeatability focused rather than um, you know I can I can do something focused um, if that makes sense right it's I feel like automation tools that that we you know we've used aren't very good about helping people collaborate to your point, right? It's the ROI is like, I got something done faster. It wasn't okay. I, I didn't, you know, what I did, I could, I didn't have to reinvent the wheel here. I could reuse pieces of it or my teams could share it and, and make it keep working. Um, but that's, that's the ROI changing. It's people getting something different from it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and also, again, like uh, in, in many cases, uh, management doesn't look at the maintenance cost uh, of the software or, or, or even hardware. Like you, you look at the, the budget for, for smaller companies and it's like, yeah, we buy a server, this is cost this much, but there is no planning for, let's say, three, four years further on the line. Once the, the, the server hardware becomes EOL, like, okay, now we need to replace it. What do you mean replace it? We still have it. <laughs> uh, right, that's right. 
and and they're replace or they're replacing it because it has it, it they can't patch it or update it or change it or yeah. they've decided yeah so you but, in, inevitably end up maintaining it until it fails and then when it when it <laughs> fails it's like well why did it fail why 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 didn't why did you allow it to fail like i didn't allow it to fail but <laughs> i requested I, this this to be re- replaced years ago <laughs> But I mean, yeah. do we do we sit back and you know people are scrambling through this log for J patch stuff, and they're not gonna they're not gonna automate or fix the process. This I've seen this with BIOS patches and all sorts of stuff, right? We keep we keep showing up, we keep doing the patch by hand because we didn't automate the process, or we haven't tested the process well enough to be confident that it's gonna automate that that it's that it's automated sufficiently. And I, I don't see a way out of that until it's standard standard practice. Oh, the, the, there's no way out of it. Period. There's always going to be a, a need to to patch things. Uh, the question is how easy it is to 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 do that. Uh, the, the, there's there's absolutely no prevention for for for, for these kind of issues. Or at least that, that's my opinion. Like that, we can only do what we can to minimize the blast radius. And, and that does include simplifying the, the, the patching process. The, this is one of the reasons one of the reasons why I ended up um, accepting the, the, the container containerization uh, Kool-Aid is, is okay. that <laughs> I, I I was stoically against containers initially for all of the, oh. the common reasons. Okay. Like I, I like like a, I, I thought, like well, again, like how do you manage versions? Like you're now depending on on on, on the th- third party to uh to, to patch your containers for you. But at one point, I realized, well, I'm already depending on on, on third parties to to patch the, the package versions on my on my OS anyway. I mm. and and when it comes to to patching. Uh, I cannot blindly apply all upgrades because so, some of my software might, might depend on, on, on a slightly older version, and then it's holding yeah. everything else back. That's right. The, the blast radius of that is much bigger than the blast radius of a single container not being updated. That was your 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 epiphany on that was similar to mine, and it's weird because I would have arguments with people, and they just didn't want to see it. That the thing that I'd been coping with. Um, and I was doing like OpenStack and Kubernetes, oh, not Kubernetes, OpenStack installs and stuff like that. The yum, you know, install X and the, or the Python pip, whatever, the dependency, resolving the dependency chain in the field for those types of systems was so fragile. Oh, amazingly fragile. <laughs> um, that nobody could install software reliably or through it. To, to be fair, though. Yeah. Ten years ago, before things like immutable containers were a common commonplace thing, um, it made sense to to patch things on the fly because we did not have the resources to provide like this this amount of golden images as as we're currently doing with with, with containers like that. There was no incremental file systems by then good enough mm-hmm. to, to, to do this with, with virtual machines. 
So inevitably, yeah, right. we, we ended up having a base image for, for our OS and then applying the configuration on top of that, which included providing the packages. And we would be hosting our own packages, uh, yes. Um, but but we would be applying the, the change at the last minute. Again, that, that is because we went from a couple of standard images to now more dynamic configuration. And, and containers were the evolution of that, saying so like, okay, we, we, we've, we've now standardized with the, with the dynamic configuration. Now let's shorten the lead time to, to get to the final product, which was, which is like, yeah, let's provide everything packaged in one, in one go. Um, I'm sure that, that for down the line, once we reach mm. the resource constraints of our current technology, we're, we're, going to, we're going to swing back to say like, okay, containers plus some other layers on top of that. Uh, but it, it, it's a pendulum. It goes back and forth. We, 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 we see the same thing happen again with, with uh, with centralized computing versus distributed computing. As a pendulum swing? Yeah. I mean, go, going back here right now, hmm. like we, for the past year, we've discussed edge back and forth. Uh, before <laughs> yeah. that, we, we, we had things centralized in the cloud. Before that, again, we, we, we had things distributed as applications on, 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 on the, the consumer devices. I mean, you look, look at all the, the like the explosion of smartphone apps. Uh, before that, again, we had things centralized, like uh, because we, mm-hmm. we started coming out with like with, with things like HX services and on, on, on things that could be hosted on a web server. It just it was browser based at that time. Uh, going further back, again, we we had distributed applications on the yeah, desktop. Again. Going further back and. and from that, we had mindframes. Um, I mean, I, I skipped a couple of generations here, but but you, you get the idea. It, it goes back and forth. Um, I don't think we, we, we're, Edge is going to crunch anytime within the next five years. But if, 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 you're, if you're asking me, again, like uh, 20, 2027, perhaps, something like that, yeah, we, we're probably going to see things moving towards centralized services again, just because we are going to reach the, the technological limits of what is current edge uh, right. and, and need to bring things back in-house for some reason. And then new technology is going to come out and, and things are going to, going to spread out again. But yeah, uh, going, going back to, towards what, what, yes, what yeah. we were discussing before, like, uh, it, I, I see... I, 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 I don't have enough data going further back for again for computation and on, on, on virtualization uh, because again it's a fairly recent field to do to make a, an absolute claim about this. But if I were to make a guess, a prediction, I would say yeah, we, we're, we're going to see the same kind of back and forth happening with um, with dependency packaging. It it might be that. Containers get replaced with something else. Who knows? Um, but um, if I were if I were a betting man, I, I would say, yeah, we, we'll see a, a point where containers stop meeting our requirements, and we huh. we, we start building on top of it uh, 
for some reason or another. I mean, to a degree, we, we kind of do that right with Kubernetes. I mean, that, that's an interesting, in, interesting premise from that perspective. Um, like with Log4j, going back to the, right, the idea, you might not be able to rebuild a container that contains Log4j. You might just be taking the container well, but in that case, the way containers work is you're taking the container, you're adding a log4j patch layer to that container. You're not not injecting it in yeah. as a post-process, right? You'd still have an immutable thing. You would just layer on top of it. That's actually one of the benefits. I, I see this as a huge benefit with the containers and the container formats is you can be like, I actually can't rebuild this container. But which is what happened like immutable with immutable objects. You're like, I can't rebuild this. My, my base image, so I'm going to post-provision a whole bunch of stuff on top of it. Um, yeah. But with the container stuff, you would actually do that as another layer and redistribute the container. I, I think containers have, have fundamentally altered the landscape. Um, and, you know, you brought up Edge. I, I think, oh boy, and there's a 2022 thing in this with Docker and Docker Hub um, and that the, the the falling apart of that. Um, but yeah. but I, I actually think that a lot of what we're, you know, it could be that what we're going to see is an actual real acceleration of people like, all right, I, you know, I can't rebuild my applications. I need a way that I'm going to redistribute containers more, more globally. Um, and we could actually see a big acceleration of containers as a way to contain this threat. Um, yeah, uh, it, it, not necessarily containers, but, but at least the ideas of, of containers, like again, layered file systems, uh, being able to do post hoc patches. Um, it's, and, and, and not, I, I think yeah. the, the one thing that we are missing, uh, at least uh, in, 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 a, in a very automated or or easily or easily managed uh, approach is um, peeling back layers. Like let, let, let's say I, I have a container that has three layers. On, on, on the topmost layer is something that I want to replace. Uh, so right now, what I would have to do is basically find the source for the, the second layer, assuming that that's, e that that's even a, a separate Docker file, because if not, then that's not something I can do. And, and then uh, build from there with, with a new layer added on top. You have to add a new uh, layer, yeah. yeah. Or, or I, could, I could maybe add a, a new layer that undoes the changes of, of the third one. Uh, but again, the, the, there's not much thought being given to that right now. It's like, I can do it, but is there a standard process for doing it? Um, and, and then, again, this goes with, with, with what you were talking about, like, right? With Log4j, for example, is that, yeah, we, we, we could add our own patch to a, to a, to a container uh, that replaces the, the, the Log4j library. Great. Now, how can we? distribute it retroactively. Yeah, you're going to have to swap. The, this is why you're, I mean, it's me, it's 
we're going to see containers in edge. I think this lights a fire for containers and edge systems more than more than VMs, right? Because I've seen, you know, like some some people are using VMs to distribute, you know, new a new delivery mechanism for an edge system, but it strikes me as you're going to have to rebuild the full container. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it's it's not that we're lacking the the technology to do it, uh, but it it feels to me like the tooling for it is currently an afterthought. Uh, and and I, if if I were to make any kind of prediction, of maybe not twenty twenty two, but but perhaps twenty twenty three, is that we'll see some new tooling come around, uh, particularly with with patch management. Hmm. For that for it to happen that fast, there has to be something in the in the pipeline, Ugh. or it would be people adopting tools that we already have. It, it will most likely start up uh, as that, like somebody like putting together a pipeline that uses off the shelf tools to to do this, uh, and then realizing, hey, like this, this is useful. Let, let, let's Let's refactor it in, in, into a, a single tool that that does it nicely. Um, it, it might be that 2023 is too soon. Who knows? Um, yeah. But um, it, it's hard to predict because the velocity of, of change in, in, in cloud native tooling has been so much greater than, 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 than the predecessors. Do you? Do you think that that velocity is due to, like, what's causing it? I, I know why the other tools go slow, <laughs> because there's so much inertia and existing stuff that you have to cope with. Um, it's not a factor of, like, the engineers not being able to go faster. It's a matter of, of you know, the systems are already in place and the APIs are already existing. You can't throw things away. Do you think, you know, is there something in cloud native tooling that makes it different than that or is it going to cut or is it going to ultimately suffer the same problem i i mean i i think that that what is enabling the, this velocity is ultimately the same root cause uh, as to what is giving us all of these headaches and that is that uh, new products are not sticking to convention, um, which I mean, it, it's great when, when you when you're throwing products out are the not legacy sticking. thought. Huh. Um, like it, it, it's good in in that it like something new comes out with with a yeah. radically different design. Uh, and and again, like we're talking about the the, the curve of adoption of technologies. It's like. Everyone with an established system will likely not adopt this right away because they see the problems with it. It's like, okay, where's the security? Oh, I don't know. Or um, where's the hardening of it? I don't know. Uh, but anyone who starts from scratch with, 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 will say like, well, I, I don't have anything to worry about security-wise yet because I don't have any, any data worth stealing. So they will start adopting it. And, and we've seen this happen with, with, with our technologies. Right? Look, look at uh, Redis. Like, the real security model is, is, is basically non-existent. You have shared username and password. That's it. Um, the real data security model, like 
backing up and, and, and restoring is very rudimentary as well. It dropped any kind of asset compliance, but it made it possible for developers to cache data really quickly. Mm. And this is why it got adopted. And it, it, it's also getting abused now as a, as a <laughs> database, uh, which is causing headaches for, for, for us, uh, right. uh, us being like DevOps and, and SREs. Um, but it ultimately, it, it, it brought forth a radical change in, in how applications store their data. So it, it it brought good it it, it, it and right. the the problems that that it, it it's caused are not unmanageable. Um, so yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't replace I, the old. It's it's moving forward, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's still a case for the old, but the there is a, an inflection point where the the new becomes featureful enough that you might say the effort of maintaining both the new and the old is greater than just shifting everything from the old to the new and dealing with any problem that might might arise from the new. Wait, say that again. So the keeping keeping both. Yeah. So let's let's look at databases, for example. Okay. Like uh, when MySQL came out, it, it was largely derided as just being not great, and, and it wasn't. <laughs> there was no there was no asset compliance. That 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 was terribly underperforming, but it was so sure. easy for a developer to to integrate with it and, and, and yeah. deploy the uh, proof of concept with it that it got adopted. And then it got built upon, and now it's one of the more po- most popular databases out there. Yeah, without a doubt, it still has problems scaling up on like a very large scale, but it's eaten a huge chunk of the SQL Server on an Oracle market. Right, and in many cases, when like a company might might say, "Well, look." Let's start with MySQL. Like I, I will worry about scaling to to terabytes once I actually have terabytes of data. Right, and then but well, but SQL provides an abstraction layer here, right? So you're you're you know you're you're isolated from that perspective. Um, sort of. I mean, there's yeah. still dialects. On on. You, you can't, I mean, if, if you stick to the, the reference spec, then yes, you, you have abstraction, you, you, you are portable. <laughs> that's, a fair, that's a fair point. The SQL, but, SQL is, is, yeah. not, is not a, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, is but, not, but, yeah. yeah. But before you hit the problem of, of scaling and, and before you even consider switching to different database technology, you are going to consider switching domain-specific implementations, like, for example, MySQL's version of Absurd or, or, or whatnot, uh, right. just to improve your performance before switching away. Because the cost of switching away at that point is much higher. So, so you, you kind of right. dig yourself okay. in 
first, and which, which is not necessarily wrong. It, it's just that, again, that there is going to be a point where just sticking with the old technology is going to become so much effort that, that you might decide, you know, I, I'm going to re rewrite my application uh, and, and start working with shiny new database technology. Whatever it is, so it, ha I mean, it happened with MongoDB in years past. Uh, people could burn with that, but it, yeah. it's, it's not always the case. It's still, it's still there. Yeah. No, that, that's why. That's what I believe about. I mean, this is why I was asking a question about cloud native stuff. That's it doesn't go away. It doesn't die. Um, but you do end up with inertia over time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, this is, I see Kubernetes dealing with the, you know, he, they keep adding, which they need to do, make the platform bigger and bigger and more complex uh, to deal with the, the, all these use cases. But at some point, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And well, they find something that should have been built in from the start, like service mesh. Yeah. And, and, and once you adopt Kubernetes, it's so difficult to step away from it. Okay, I, I've done that in my previous position where, where mm. like I, I came from 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 a position like two jobs back where where I was actively helping developers port their applications to Kubernetes. And then the, the next position was, well, we have this application which doesn't really work well in Kubernetes. So let's Let's uh, let's just do standard Docker deployments, and and it and yeah, it was right. a lot simpler. It was it a lot less effort for me until I hit the 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 points where it was like, okay, in Kubernetes I can do this, in Docker I can't. What do I do now? <laughs> um, in in this case, it was specifically around health checks because in Docker you can add you can add health checks to your container. Uh, do your Docker file, but unless you actually run Swarm, the runtime ignores them. Uh, so it's like, well, I know how to do this in Kubernetes. <laughs> so it, it Kubernetes ends up being my hammer, and, and everything else starts looking <laughs> like a nail. <laughs> That's the thing that always makes me nervous about that. That's right. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I. It, it it also opened my eyes and saying like, okay, I I now realized uh, uh, what what it is about Kubernetes that made it so attractive to me is is okay. that it it provided the tooling to declare the process that I would um, go through for maintaining my systems. Like if I were to do this with a VM, I would have to add a, a, a daemon to check the health of, of, of my service. I, I would have to add the, not just the system D configurations, but, but even like, like in, again, like a, a, because system D would, would only restart my service if, if it were to fail, just, just like Docker, like the Docker runtime. But okay. if it's a soft fail, if it hangs, then that is opaque 
to, to the native tooling. So I would have to add that on top of that. Kubernetes provides this out of the box, or at least it, it, it gives me the guidance of saying like, this is how you, you can extend the health checks off your containers. Like specifically the the, the liveness and readiness. No, this is well. This was this is to me one of the things that I think is really important for things like Kubernetes is that they're actually providing the um they're providing the they're, they're reinforcing the right behavior um, automatically. Yeah. That's why yeah. people like it, right? Yeah, um, and, and 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 that's the thing. Like it, it Kubernetes, it, it's not unique in terms of technologies that it, that it gives you. But it puts them together in in, a, in an organized way. So yeah. that, that tells you if you follow these guidelines, you will have a good time. You the amount of maintenance that you will do will be reduced by two orders of magnitude. Right, because the path because you're on you're on the right path. That's how I, that's how I yeah. see the benefit of infrastructure as code pieces. If we can do it right, is that yeah. you've you're you're doing things the right way so that they are sustainable and maintainable. Yeah, the, the uh, hurdle to that and the, the hurdle to adoption is that what Kubernetes says is you need to trust the controller to do the right thing. And, and, and in Kubernetes, you can do that because the, the controller has very specific instructions as to what it needs to do when, when things fall outside the parameters. Then the, the systems that people come from before adopting Kubernetes don't provide that. So it's a, it's a big leap of faith for them, for, for, the, for the developers and for the admins to say, I'm going to trust the system now because they've been burned by the system before. An interesting and delicate balance of guardrails. Um, right, because this is, this is right where Swarm, Kubernetes beat Swarm, not because Swarm was easier. Swarm was a lot easier. Um, but uh, there were... There was enough flex. It was it was the balance. There was enough flexibility and openness, and it encouraged people to do the right the right behavior. Yeah, it it, it reduced the effort in in the long tail of, of operations. Not not day not day one or not even day zero. Uh, but but yeah, once you're up and running, once you once you need to keep your system healthy, that's what when when it started to shine. All right. This is fascinating. All right. Thank you. Wow, I love these more intimate technical discussions where we really get practical about things that, that we need to be doing to improve IT operations and controls and how to think about the platforms that we're building and using every day in these systems. So, if you like content like this, and if you're listening to me, you clearly do, because uh, you made it to the end, please join us at the 2030.cloud. We have remarkable, robust, pertinent conversations to the world and technology and the forces shaping what we're building as uh, technology innovators. Join us. I want to hear your voice there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put 
uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.